Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to That Anthro Podcast. How proud are you that this is coming out within two weeks? Like, wow, my God, she's keeping to a schedule. How shocking. Um, Yes, I have another episode ready to go that'll be coming out two weeks after this and then another one scheduled for two weeks after that. So yeah, gotten it together. More regular podcast episodes coming out um, because I know you all miss them and I'm trying my hardest. Grad school, it's tough, but I love the podcast and I love getting to meet people like Lauren. Lauren is um, Lauren Malcoon, um, is a senior anthropology major at University of Southern California, also known as USC. Uh, so it was great to talk to someone who's like currently in California and someone who, um, honestly, I feel like we could be friends. I hope maybe I get to meet her in person someday. She was awesome, super energetic just super fun to talk to and has had a lot of really cool field experiences that uh, we were able to just like chat about. We've both been to Menorca, Spain and yeah, just a lovely, lovely person. So I know you'll love this episode, especially if you're an undergrad. I feel like there's a lot of really important advice in this episode. Um, But also before we get into the episode, I did want to do like a little life update, not just about me, but about some of my friends. Um, So I'm really excited to announce and I did put it on the Instagram that uh, my friend Griffin Fox is uh, accepted a PhD program and is going to be moving to Buffalo, New York. And we're really excited. You know, Griffin is um, has been a big supporter of the podcast, but has also been on the podcast twice. So if you've listened to his episodes, you know that he's been working towards grad school and finding the right program for a long time now. So I'm really excited for him. Um, I'm also really excited that three the three of my roommates that were applying all uh, got into great PhD programs and accepted great offers, and I'm really excited for all of them. Um, my goal, so we've already had Meg on the podcast. My goal is to have Celia and Mariah on before we all go our separate ways, um, moving-wise. Um, and yeah, so lots of exciting like grad school things going on. Um, and I believe Lauren was also, you know, making her decision about grad school uh, during this time as well. So maybe I'll have an update for you guys about that at some point. Um, but yeah, life's going good. I did a lot of uh, pet sitting this past week because I've taken up pet sitting and babysitting as a way to make a little extra money, especially because um, I can make more than minimum wage, which is really helpful. You know, minimum wage is pretty low here in Virginia. I almost said Ventura. That's so funny. Virginia. Yeah, I live in Virginia now. Um, and I was pet sitting two rats for one family and then like domesticated rats and then two dogs for another family. Um, and honestly, like I love animals so much that it was like very stressful because I wanted to keep them like alive and healthy. But ultimately, it's always a delight to hang out with other animals. Um, Daisy was definitely a little upset with me that I was spending so much time with other dogs like I would come home and she would sniff me up and down and be like excuse me where have you been 
So let's see what else is going on. Uh, this episode will be coming out right before my birthday, my 22nd birthday. Um, and I'm super, super lucky that my mom is a teacher and has her spring break happened to overlap with my birthday. So she made the decision to come visit me. Um, so the time that this episode is coming out, she will be here. We'll be hanging out and celebrating my birthday, which will be super fun. Um, and I think I've mentioned this before, but <clears throat> she and I have been slowly working our way through the Smithsonian museums. So the first time when she moved me out here, we went to the Natural History Museum and the Museum of the American Indian. And then when she came to visit me for Thanksgiving, we went to um, the Asian Art Museum and the... Oh, the Air and Space Museum. And so now while she's coming to visit, we're going to go to the African American History Museum. And then hopefully we're going to have time to go to one of the smaller art galleries. I think we will. Um, so that's going to be really fun. Super excited about that. My goal is to go to all the Smithsonian museums before I graduate, which I think is a super attainable goal, given that I've already been to four. Yeah, four of the eight. I feel like, oh no, I went to another one with my dad. I went to the American History Museum with my dad, so I have been to five. Um, but yeah, let's see, what else is going on? Um, pretty much what else is going on is that I'm taking my classes, getting that all situated, and in about a month, like a month and a week, I will be done with my first year of grad school, which is crazy. Um, I, I can't believe it. And pretty soon within the next, like, you know, like I said, month and week, I will have my thesis project nailed down and I'm looking forward to sharing that with all of you. Um, AABAs are coming up, which is the American Association of Biological Anthropologists, and that conference is coming up and a lot of my cohort members are going to that. Um, I can't make it this year, but I really, I look forward to hearing what you know, everything that they have to share about it. And I really hope that like anyone that's going has a fun time. I know a lot of people were just at SAAs, the Society for American Anthropologists. Sorry, no. Society for American Archaeologists um, in Portland, which, oh my gosh, I wish I could have gone to that. First of all, I love Portland. You know, I'm from Oregon. If you don't know, I was born and raised on the Oregon coast. Um, but also just like so many people I know were there, like friends of the podcast, Lauren Malone, not Lauren Malcoon, who's on this episode, Lauren Malone, who has been on previous episode. Um, and then Griffin was there and just like lots of people I saw on Instagram that I knew were there. Um, and it made me kind of sad. I was like, oh, I wish I could have gone in Portland. Like that would have been such a great time. But, um, you know, it's conference season. So I hope everyone's enjoying themselves and networking. And I think like a big part of anthropology, I mean, any field is networking. So I hope that at these events, like you're not only um, going to lectures, but you're also doing that kind of like outside networking and getting to know people. Um, yeah, I think that's all I kind of have as like an update before the episode, but um, I know that you guys are going to love this episode with Lauren. Lauren's amazing. And again, Lauren Malcoon, not Lauren Malone. <laughs> um, oh, actually, that is something else that happened. Lauren Malone, sorry to go back to that, confuse you all, um, had invited me <clears throat> to speak to the undergrad and society at University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I did that like probably like three weeks ago now. Yeah, it was middle March. So three weeks ago, which was super fun. You know, I love getting to share my experiences and the, the bits and pieces of advice that I do have with undergrads, uh, anyone who's really willing to listen. And that was a super fun experience. Um, that was my second time doing that because I had done that for Stony Brook University 
Um, Mason had invited me to do that. So yeah, super exciting. Lots of fun things going on. Um, and yeah, without further ado, let's get into the episode. I hope you all are doing well and, um, yeah, happy podcast Wednesday or not Wednesday. If you're not listening to this the day it drops. Um, yeah. Okay. Bye. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the podcast listeners. Today we have Lauren Malcoon here with us. So I'm going to just start by Lauren, introduce yourself, where you're from and where you're currently studying. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I'm Lauren. I'm from Michigan, born and raised, and I'm currently studying at the University of Southern California, and I'm double majoring in archaeology and Italian, and I'm currently in my last semester, so on my way out. Yeah, very exciting. And um, Lauren has some opportunities for grad school that we were talking about that are very exciting. So uh, she's on to more exciting things after USC, um, which is the University of Southern California for our non-California people that don't know. Um, So let's kind of just start with how you even found out what anthropology was, what archaeology was, because I think everyone has their own little unique story and how they got interested in this subject we study. Yeah, Um, so it kind of, it goes back to, I guess, for my childhood throughout that time, you know, I was always whenever me and my parents were very much like a road trip family, me and my parents and my sisters. And so whenever, you know, we'd go traveling around the U.S., um, going on vacations and such, um, we'd always stop at, you know, archaeological sites, museums, things like that. Um, And even when we were on vacation, I have family in Southern California visiting them. You know, we'd go to sites in the area, museums in the area. That was just something that we always did growing up. So I guess this idea of heritage, material culture, um, and, you know, natural sciences even being uh, a part of my life was just always there from a very young age um, and was something that I was interested in just because it was always around. Um, and then when I went to high school, I went to, I went to an interesting high school. I went to a full international baccalaureate high school. And so that program, it's essentially, um, it's an international program and you essentially kind of go to that high school knowing that that's the program that you will be doing. Um, it's a two-year program. So it's your junior, senior year, and then your freshman, sophomore year, you prep for the program. 
um, mm -hmm. at that school, they encourage, you know, the study of foreign languages, everyone has to take a second language, and they encourage um, a B2 level proficiency. And so in order to do that, they also offer um, study abroad programs through the school um, for like a week or two, or sometimes two or three weeks, one of them, I know my sister did a French one um, in France for a week and a half, two weeks, I believe, and my other sister did one in Spain. Um, over the summer and it was a bit longer. And by the time it came to my turn to do it, um, I was, you know, looking into it, you know, saving up money from work, getting my funds together. And then they said they weren't gonna offer it that year. And I was like, okay, that's great. And I started doing research, trying to figure out sort of how I could get myself to Spain or to a Spanish speaking country. I'd learned Spain, Spain Spanish. So I wanted to go to Spain to oh. practice that. Um, and so I found Arceo Spain and they have um, high school excavations, some one of which at the time was in Menorca, Spain. Um, and, you know, I just sent it. I was like, OK, this is something. And I applied and talked about it with my parents and took that money I'd saved up. And, you know, since then, it's really been no looking back. And I applied to USC um, originally as an anthropology major. But the way USC is set up, I couldn't focus in archaeology within the anthropology department just because um, archaeology is in the religion department. So a bit of jumping oh, around. Quick. It is quite strange. Um, yeah. So then I ended up switching almost immediately um, to archaeology. And yeah, just always been fascinated with the material culture of the human past um, and heritage as somebody who's Lebanese is very important to me. So yeah. That's interesting. Um, so are your parents from Lebanon? Yes. So my parents were both born in Lebanon. Um, and then I'm a dual citizen. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Um, so you were mentioning like these road trips as a child. Is there any like archaeological sites or museums that kind of like stick out in your mind as being kind of like pivotal, you know, because I... I actually like grew up as a road tripping family as well and I didn't get to see any archaeological sites and it makes <laughs> me so sad so I want to live vicariously through your childhood <laughs> there oh I'm trying to remember I know we did come to California a lot just because my family in California is similar ages to me and my siblings um mm. there uh, there's a lot of like missionary like mm. sites and like old churches and um like yeah old like religious sites in southern california um that i wish i could remember the name i'm like remembering the image of it um uh, because we have home videos um from this one mm. home video. Awesome. Um, but yeah there's a lot of missionary sites that we went to which you know missionary sites are an interesting topic but yeah. from a young age you know you don't really yeah what that means and so just seeing that is very cool went to a lot of national parks um especially in like the um southern california like i guess like more western part of the united states tends to have, have like a lot of um national parks but yeah i was a rock picker um i loved rocks i still love rocks and um i remember i was at yosemite and let's just say i had somehow 
my parents were very trusting of us as kids. They were like, we were very responsible kids. And so I had collected a box of rocks, which if you don't know, is illegal. You're not really allowed to do that. And so we're going to leave. And, you know, I have my box of rocks. I don't really know where I got this box from. And a park ranger's like, you have to leave that. And I was like, I know, like I, I am curated. This is where my curatorial interest started. I was like, I curated this yeah. collection of rocks. Like I, I can't just leave them here. Then if I leave them here and this is in the parking lot too. It's like, if I leave them here on this like little curb thing that has just rocks in it, then they're not going to be where they were even picked from. So then I'm just displacing them. And then I'm an issue. Then, and then he was just like, I'm sorry. Like you can go buy rocks in the gift store. And I was so mad about it because I was like, yeah. I have to now pay for the rocks that aren't even as nice as the ones I wanted. And they're clean too. And I was like, these are dirty. And I was yeah. going to get to clean them. It's a whole thing. I did end up buying rocks still. Cause you know, I was like eight and yeah, sadness. And then I was like, well, I'll go buy me some rocks. That's the most like archaeology backstory ever. Like I would say <laughs> 70% of us loved to collect stuff. We're just all like oh, have right. these very similar ex- like early childhood experiences that led us to archaeology. Oh yeah. And I grew up gardening with my parents as well. In our backyard, we have a small garden. Um, mm. So, you know, some people like to say at times archaeology and like fieldwork is glorified landscaping um so yeah essentially but so you know I've I've had those digging skills for for quite a while yeah 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 (laughs) yeah um now going back to your trip to Menorca um you mentioned that it holds a very special place in your heart it also holds Uh, a very special place in my heart as well what time of the year were you there I was there I think end of June, um, beginning okay. of July. Perfect. End of June, first two weeks of July. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's a great time to be there. So lots of swimming. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful. The so it was through. I was in Menorca through an Archeo Spain program, like I said, and um, I think it was roughly, I want to say ten students total. So it's quite mm. small. Um, and we were staying in this little farmhouse. Um. <laughs> it so was cute. so adorable and you know like the, the the dinner table where we'd eat outside was like or where we would eat was outside in the backyard and it was like a very like farmhouse big table benches we'd all be sitting next to each other overlooking um this person's like farmland um and there were sheep that roamed around <laughs> in the backyard and there was just this house the land it was on had acres and so the owner was very kind to have let the program use the house um but it was absolutely stunning and then you know we'd um drive to the site and just seeing Menorca's just jaw-dropping it's breathtaking Mm -hmm. it's so cute it's literally like farmland markets and the beach and it's just so beautiful and stunning but yeah so and being with that smaller group was obviously nicer because um you know you got to mingle with each other more get to know each other better one of the girls actually from the program is visiting me next week here oh, we managed to stay in touch um I have not seen her in a in a few years to say the least but wow. you know it's nice to keep in touch with those people so that program definitely kept us together and Menorca is just stunning literally when I came back I told my parents I was like I don't know how I don't know when but I'm moving there <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I'm having all these like flashbacks as you're talking about it. I what I found interesting was like how the whole interior is like the farmlands, but then it's like yeah. the edges are the cities, and then well, not even like cities, like towns. Yeah. Um, and then there's those um, it's it they looked like volcanic rocks, but I don't think they were those like really porous rocks that made up oh, all of yeah. the um walls that like transect like everywhere. I know you know what I'm talking no, about. I yeah. exactly. I you're flashing me back now too. I'm like, yeah, we're driving. Yeah. To- yeah oh my gosh and I just remembered too one time our bus on the way because so we like where we were staying in the house was like on the like right on the water and so we would take like a bus like 45 minutes inland to the site every day um and one time they were filming like a show or a movie so our bus got stopped because they were using the road and then they were also filming other scenes of the same show or movie in like the square I stayed in Situadella um and so they were like they were filming it there too and I just totally forgot about that until this exact moment yeah no that's crazy wait yeah that must have been we did not run into any film crews but that's exciting we did see oh this was interesting so we were in town I forget the exact name of the town we were at but it was the one closest to our lodgings and um we were walking around and we kept seeing signs for Mamma Mia but it was like <sighs> come see the band play Mamma Mia and you know I I spoke Spanish so I was you yeah. know reading I was like okay yeah like this is a band playing Mamma Mia I don't understand why it's like a like theater type poster it was literally like Broadway musical type poster um and so we convinced we convinced one of the directors to take us this one night we're like please we must go and it was you know not close enough where we could walk and so yeah. uh, he took us all and we go and we really did not know what to expect um we were we you know we, we heard we read band and we were like you know like guitars drums yeah, along. yeah. no it was like full orchestral band um, oh and it was a musical <laughs> and fun. they had like a stage and was in the town and so many people were there it was like everyone had come and then you know we're sitting there we're like well we're here we are going to see this we all love Mamma Mia you know always a good time we'll hum along um maybe not mm-hmm. sing along you know it is a full production in Spanish <laughs> um yeah. oh, oh but here's where it gets better we were like okay it's in Spanish like you know most of, some of us can understand it some of us can understand a little bit of it we're like maybe they'll do it in English because you know a lot of people around the world speak English who knows no it was in Menorquin so the Menorquin dialect oh, wow. so we were just sitting there um and you know we've watched Mamma Mia so we, we knew what was happening and yeah yeah, we did not understand a single word they said, but hearing "money, money" in the Menorquin dialect was my favorite thing. Um, also, the love interest was a fifty-year-old man, and um, Donna's daughter was like an eighteen-year-old girl playing it. So, oh. it was, yeah, yeah, I think they just really—I think they might have had limited auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting thing, but definitely one of my favorite times because, you know, things just like kept happening on top of each other. It's like, oh, okay, it's full orchestra. Oh, okay, like it's it's a musical. Okay, these characters are really weirdly aged. Okay, wait, let's listen yeah. to them talk. Is this Spanish? No, this is Menorquin. Okay, great. And then money, money starts playing. We're like, wow, this is this is a show. We are all, wow. we are enjoying this very differently from the people who are <laughs> from the island. <laughs> 
yeah yeah that's that's quite an interesting experience um I love I love that for you though I love I love that you got experience <laughs> yeah um so after that like high school experience um yeah. you also did let me see was it two um RKO Spain projects after that yes in- so yeah well, after that, it was, I like, after that, coming back from that, I went in my senior year, applied to college, got in, accepted where I wanted, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that summer, though, was, that was when COVID had just started. So mm. nothing, nothing happened then. But then freshman year of college did that. And then that summer after my freshman year of college, but I ended up doing two, two projects with Archeo Spain. The first one, I went back to their high school excavation and I supervised. Um, and I went with them. They didn't have Menorca anymore. They were working in Carascosa, Spain. Um, at, they call it the Roman fortress of Popcon. Um, and so I was supervising that for three weeks. And then from there, I went to um, be a student in their program um, in Pompeii. Um, mm-hmm. And so I worked at that program for five weeks because so I had to get to the first session of the program a week late. So then I asked if I could just stay for the second session. And, you know, the nice thing about archaeology is that like they you can't really repeat what you've already done. Yeah. For I wasn't sure. going to be like sitting there through like the same things. Um, so staying longer yeah. would allow me to sort of round out the completion of the project for that summer. So sure. it was in eight weeks in Spain slash Italy with Archeo Spain. Um, and I love Catalina and Dionisio um, are the couple who run that company. Um, and they are amazing. I like to think of them as like my archaeology mom and dad. They really, um, their programs helped sort of guide me into it. I'm still in touch with them. Um, and they're great. When I was working in Greece this summer, actually, um, Catalina was in Thessaloniki the same time me and my friends had decided to take the weekend to go up to Thessaloniki because, you know, we were in Athens. So it's not really mm-hmm. a quick walk away. No. <laughs> um, and so we both happened to be there at the same time. And uh, we had like a day overlap. And so I went to her hotel um, in oh. the evening. She was available and, you know, we hung out chatted had some had a drink you know caught up and then she called Dionisio because he was in Spain working on another project oh. and then we all chatted so it was very nice but yeah I'm a big Archeo Spain fan and highly yeah. encourage um, if you have the funding time opportunity please I say go for it yeah and if um that name is ringing any bells for like diehard fans like uh Caitlin I bet it's ringing a bell for you um, my friend Emery Beatty was on the same project as Lauren, um, which is, you know, archaeology is a small world, uh, the Pompeii project in 2021. Um, but specifically, I'm curious about how going back to the high school program as a mentor was as an experience for you, because I feel like, you know, you've had two years under your belt, a year in college, and I can just imagine that it must have been like a very full circle mentoring moment for you. Oh, it was crazy. I didn't realize how full circle it would be. I just kind of, if you know, I feel like it was still during the midst of COVID by no means was COVID over, but you know, um, it had started to sort of, the fog had started to clear, I think is a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, but so I was really just after having lost a summer um, and being sort of confined for an entire year at my home in Michigan. So I stayed home in Michigan for my first year, oh. um, which, which with a three hour time difference of Easter to Pacific, 
is um, a lot. And I was also working. And so, you know, I was very much like, I need to leave my home, not because of any, like my family, I love my family, but, you know, just being in one spot at one time for a period of time and unable to do things, obviously, um, you're going to feel that way. And so I reached out to Catalina. I was like, I'm doing Pompeii. Don't worry. But <laughs> I was going to come back. Um, like, I'd love to like help out on one of your programs um, uh, and just, you know, be a mentor if I can and supervise. And she was very for- down for it and put a lot of trust in me. Um, and so I came back. It's so I came to the Roman Fortress Pulpon, which is it's a beautiful site and the house that um, they have there for that program is absolutely stunning it has this like really beautiful internal foyer that goes up to a skylight um, and it's in like this small farm town in Carascosa, Spain where everything closes at 1 p.m not reopening there's it's not for the siesta they just they wow. end their days <laughs> um, and you know the gas I love, that for them. I love that for them too but definitely sometimes we did end at once so it was like if you needed something from the grocery store <laughs> no you did not (laughs) um but yeah so going back I don't really look my age at all times and so especially then you know I feel like with COVID I didn't really like age either because I was just stationary um and you know in my head it's like I didn't really move to Los Angeles yet so in in your head like the weird sort of time and it's just like I just graduated high school oh wait that was over a year ago (laughs) and sort of um little like duality that goes on in your brain and so when I first got to Menorca people it was an interesting experience sort of introducing myself to the students and I'm not tall um I don't know if I I've been told I sound tall I've been given like oh like yeah you definitely give tall energy which I don't really know what that means but I'm not I'm I'm five foot tall so so um, well, some people like say they're short and then they'll be like, oh, I'm five, four, like no five, five foot. That's, that's like gymnast size. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, love gymnastics, but anyways, and so convincing people that I was like their supervisor and mentor and like letting them know that, um, was definitely something, an interesting experience, but you know, we all started to get in like a rhythm. Um, it was a lot of work. I was in charge of sort of supervising 18, um, or 19 high school students, which is a lot. Um, yeah, love them all to pieces, but it it is quite a bit of work. And I also was in charge of you know sort of like we had laundry schedules, we had um, cleaning schedules, um, and I was in charge of creating those as well, making sure when we had weekend excursions that everyone you know was up ready, had a bag packed of essentials, and like was on the bus or in the van. Yeah. Was accounted and- for and alive. Yeah, I was like, you're ready, let's go. (laughs) Um, You know, there were some kids who did not want to wake up in the morning because we'd wake up early because, you know, you got to beat the Spanish sun. Um, And I'm knocking on their doors. I'm like, hey, like, I know, I know, I get it. It's early, but you need to get in, you need to get ready, eat some food, let's go. Um, But it was definitely full, very full circle and at a very early stage in my archaeological journey. And so sort of like, I was still, I guess, perfecting sort of my routines, my skills, like what I know, but while also having to sort of give wisdom advice and um, while also having to teach other students. 
Um, but it was very rewarding. I'm still in touch with some of those students from that. And some of them are either in their first year of college right now um, or are applying and accepting offers right now. And so a lot of them are pursuing archaeology, which is very exciting. Um, but it was definitely a rewarding experience, a lot of work, yeah. but I don't regret it. And, you know, if I ever have free time in the future, I've told Catalina that I will in a beat heartbeat come back to that high school program specifically because if students have the opportunity to do that I honestly think it's such a great way to kickstart your career kickstart your interests and even if you don't end up pursuing archaeology it's a great conversation piece too well and just a great like introduction to like living in another place and like being respectful of people's cultures and stuff like that which I just don't think like can ever be emphasized enough is how important that is to the development of young adults. Like it is so important. That is so true. And yeah, I mean, I, that was like an obvious thing in my head, but saying it out loud, it makes so much sense. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not emphasized nearly enough as it should be, especially in K through 12 education. It's probably obvious to you because you, you are a dual citizen. You have a multi-ethnic like background, But I mean, and obviously like Spain is still European culture, but that doesn't mean that there are still some like interesting cultural phenomena and like societal norms that when you go to another country and you're exposed to like help you come back to your home with like a new sense of like, here's how I treat people that think differently than me or act differently than me. Oh, 100%. And yeah, I do think because of my background, it's obviously like second nature. I'm in the, I'm part of the Archaeological Institute of America, and I'm specifically on board for the LA Society. Um, And one of our board members, she, Dawn Cox, she is sort of our K through 12 liaison, and she's working to help create more archaeological curriculum for K through 12 in Southern California specifically. Obviously, you know, if that could be expanded, that would be great. But I do think that archaeology and the way that it interacts with, you know, ethics, law, culture and just like creating sort of like a well-rounded base and knowledge for how you treat people and their identities and and their stuff essentially Um, other histories very fundamental and important yeah I actually do a lot of that um especially with my old uh, so I was telling you I grew up in Santa Barbara Ventura area uh with my old middle school uh well it's a K through eight but I was there for middle school um because they've been so kind to stay in touch it's a smaller school so they keep in touch with the alumni and they were really impressed with the work that I'd been doing and they were like you know if you ever want to talk to the students let us know and I don't think that that when they said that they were prepared for how much I was going to take advantage (laughs) of that I've talked to them to different grade levels about different things like four times now and for this past anthropology day the third and fourth graders were learning about the Chumash which is the indigenous tribe uh, to Santa Barbara Mm -hmm. and so I did a lecture to the fourth the third and fourth grade classes about Chumash archaeology and Channel Islands archaeology which I don't know you might be familiar with the Channel Islands but they're right off the coast of Santa Barbara Mm -hmm. and it was so great to see the kids super excited and like talking to them about um you know archaeology in their backyard and I just don't think like we can ever emphasize how important that is because even at a progressive school like this one who is a it's a private school so they don't have to follow public school curriculum are still working to incorporate indigenous rights um you know agency of indigenous peoples um like 
whether or not we should be digging up these things. And I was able to, obviously they're third and fourth graders. So I didn't go like super in depth, (laughs) introduce them to the idea of indigenous sovereignty, that these people lived on this land that they live on thousands of years before them had all this material culture so it was like really a special experience oh yeah and I feel like also especially in the United States where people are like often tend to forget indigenous heritage and history um and they just think oh archaeology in the U.S. what is there um but there is so much heritage that does need to be preserved and also I think the way that we talk about um, indigenous heritage needs to be modified because a lot of times people will act like it's it's in the past when it is very much the present as well and there are very much living peoples and communities who are still having to fight for rights to not only maintain their lands but also maintain their ancestry and the materials of their ancestry um and I think there's a lack of understanding um, regarding how people, regarding people's, I guess, just knowledge. There's a lack of, there's uh, the ignorance surrounding um, knowledge of indigenous culture, indigenous tribes, and how that culture can vary between tribe, vary between person for that matter. Um, but there are still like certain core beliefs that should affect also indigenous archaeology um, and how you are respectful towards those communities. Um, and I think in Los Angeles specific, specifically, also being on Tongva um, land is something that um, doesn't always get acknowledged very much, but I know at USC um, in within archaeology and anthropology and also at UCLA, there's always statements made before many lectures and stuff like that to acknowledge that. But I don't know if outside those smaller realms, because like you said, archaeology, anthropology, it's a very small community. Um, I don't think that outside those small bubbles that um, Indigenous peoples are given the voices that they truly deserve within the U.S. So that's awesome that you're able to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with what everything that you're saying. And um yeah I don't even like I think that's you said it all so I don't even have (laughs) anything to add to that but um kind of like switching gears back to your experience like in field studies what is something that you wish you would have known before going into the field or like an a pivotal item or tool that like you wish you had had that that first excavation that you'd recommend to others for me it was like full body wipes because you just get covered in dirt and then on the bus ride back you just wanted to like wipe your face off (laughs) yeah I think that's a good recommendation honestly like I think I might start to pack those on my excavations I usually just tough it out I'm like yeah you're dirty but deal with it you're fine (laughs) but for us we would go straight from excavation to the lab so that was why it wasn't like after excavation we could go home and shower I think that's why that was essential to wait, no, that'd be terrible. Yeah. If you have a schedule like that, or even if you don't, please like also just like, you know, dirt's not really great to sit in your pores. Um, so yeah, face wipes are great. Um, I packed a hat, pack a hat. Hats are lovely. My hat was great. Um, you know, you can, you can take it off sometimes. Sometimes, you know, it'll get a little steamy if you don't have like vents in your hat. But, you know, making sure you have it on for those like core, extremely sunny hours. Don't get me wrong. I love a good tan. Um, I'm, I have my ethnicity goes back to the Mediterranean region. So I have really great tanning jeans. But, you know, 
that heat exhaustion is and that sunburn because it's not going to be worth it so please wear a hat bring bring sunscreen but also know that especially if you're going to a place where it's sunny you don't need to load up on loads of sunscreen because you will be able to also get sunscreen in those areas and so you do Mm -hmm. have like limited space obviously if you have a specific skin condition and need certain sunscreen then maybe load up on it um yeah because I also got heat rash which was terrible because I would say by like day three of excavating I had spent like my summer before going to Menorca going to thrift stores and finding like hiking pants and hiking shirts like those like sweat wicking things and then um I, so I'm wearing like long sleeves and long pants and it was like the heat wave. It, there was a heat wave during in Spain that year. And so I would say like after a couple of days, I was like, oh, I can like unzip them because they were the ones that had like the zippers, you know, and like just wear shorts and t-shirts. Heat rash. Heat yeah. rash. Oh, heat you may be sweaty, but cover yourself so that you don't get heat rash. Yeah, that's, oh, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, also water bottle, empty water bottle. Oh, yeah. You can't carry liquids through your security obviously but empty water bottle or even like um like some people I know like have camelbacks that have like the like gallon or pint like, oh, of, yeah. like bag of water like if you want to do that please stay hydrated act as if you're like going camping or hiking and those are like the essentials <laughs> that you need to bring which is funny to say because you literally just go to site and just excavate but you know um those are some important necessities. I'd say always a journal and like a writing utensil or a couple yeah. writing utensils. It's always good to have. Keep notes um, or even like journal about your day so you can remember it in the future, but also notes about what you're digging, how you're digging, stratigraphy, things like that um, is very important. Uh, a camera is always nice if you can, a small camera. Yeah. Oh, there was one advice that one of my professors here gave me and there are these like wallet scales, which you should, it's like a scale. So like for, if you're taking a picture, you could put the scale next to the oh, yes. And um, I got one of them and the one I got, they were sold out of the one where it's just the scale, but the one I got was like kind of like a credit card type size. And it had a scale in like the top corner of it. And I was working on a research project with this professor and it was on like fibula. And so she was like, oh, you're going to see Fibula at the museum. You should get a scale so that when you're taking pictures at the museums, you just put the scale right next to it in the picture. Um, And I think there is this one brand, I forget the name, but um, they also have like this color correcting agentness because, you know, sometimes color can get distorted in pictures. Um, And so you put that right up next to it, take a picture. And I think for anyone starting off in archaeology, just having that scale is helpful. if you're taking pictures or even if not just to get a reference and you never know For when sure. you're in the fields and you lose a scale but then you're like oh I have one in my wallet <laughs> yes that's so funny at first when you were when you were saying scale I was thinking like for your suitcase like to see how heavy it is oh. but like but no I would say like photo scales are totally essential um and also as someone who brought a professional camera with them to field school you will never regret it like I was like oh maybe I'm gonna regret lugging around this heavy camera no the pictures that I have are like so special even if it like I didn't bring it into the field with me I would bring it just for like our like our fun dinners and our excursions and whatever the the quality of pictures I have I just like I'll never ever regret having those oh yeah bring disposables too 
I love my film pictures yeah. that I have from my excavations. I brought one this summer and it makes me so happy. And also feel the disposable cameras are so portable. So let's say they one are. day you want to like carry around a professional camera or like you're going to someplace where you're like, I will leave this here. Yeah. <laughs> Disposables are great. But yeah, you know, because also like archaeology is a very communal, a very, very communal field. And so making, it's not only about, you know, respecting the material culture and the past but it's also about respecting each other and creating like you have memories together you make friends um it's a community it's not just like a cubicle job where you're sitting separated isolated from each other Um, so creating those memories and documenting them honestly is a form of archaeology because you know it's the archaeology and you're creating new I guess material culture for people to see in the future that's so cute yes that's very true (laughs) Um, and you mentioned um, that you did uh, go on another field experience this past summer. So that was um, in 2022, you were a volunteer on a volunteer excavation for the American School of Classic Studies at Anathene Agora. Am I correct? Yes. So I was with the American School um, working at the Athenian Agora, and it was honestly such an amazing program. Um, they take around... I think it's a team in total of 55, but that's including supervisors, staff, um, and also students, but it's a quite large group of students. I want to say 30. That might be a wrong number, Um, but it's students from all walks of life, so undergrad through grad too, Um, and I was working there for eight weeks, and so how it works, so it's the volunteer excavation program. You do get paid you do get housing. You okay. guys can apply. <laughs> Y'all should I know, apply. I'm like, I should apply. <laughs> it's a great program. Um, they just switched directors, so I do not know if it is going to be, I haven't looked into the structure. I didn't reapply um, just because, you know, as you can tell, I've been doing a lot of field school stuff, yeah. and, you know, sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you need a summer uh-huh. to yourself, um, uh-huh. and, um, but as I was saying, great program, great resources and funding. Um, I think what most people had to pay was the flight, but at USC, we had a fellowship that I applied to for that. And I was able to essentially go there for free, I guess you could say, but funded. Um, And yeah, so our schedule was Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. on site working. Um, We'd kind of, our rhythm of working would be to the bells of the church right next to the site. So, you know, the 7 a.m it's like you're digging 2 p.m bell you're already cleaned up and you're out of there so you and it's really nice like the lunch like there's the bell and stuff like that um so it was definitely funny but yeah you know sometimes when I hear church bells I'm like oh it's a time time to excavate now (laughs) um but uh yeah and on the weekends I'm very much I'm very much a busybody I like to be doing things. I like to really take in whatever I can when I'm in a specific area, especially if I'm in a foreign country. Um, And so that having been sort of, I guess, my fourth technical excavation I was on is very much like, yes, I'm tired at 2 p.m., but I'm going to shower and I'm going to go to a museum. (laughs) Like, it's just gonna, this is just what it is. Or like, I'm going to get dinner with all the, like, whoever wants to get dinner. I'm going to spend time with these people. You know, yes, I'm tired, but you know, I'll get a better night's sleep if I go to bed at a reasonable hour, uh, rather yeah. than, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, so, uh, whenever I could, I went to the museums in Athens. I think I've been 
to most I'm definitely not all because you know there's always little tiny museums that Mm -hmm. you don't manage to get to but a lot of the museums in Athens and on weekends um me and you know whoever else in the giant group me would like to would have wanted to join was like going to um various archaeological sites nearby various towns um and then you do get one three-day weekend and on that three-day weekend that's the three-day weekend I went to Thessaloniki um which was so awesome some of my favorite museums I think from that um uh eight weeks in Greece were in Thessaloniki slash around Thessaloniki um and so the museums uh at Vergina and Pella were just two of my favorite museums ever and yeah highly recommend um if I could have been associated with creating a museum it would have been those two so yeah (laughs) they're amazing honestly truly if you have a chance to go go if you don't look it up read about it see pictures it's great great so what were you and sorry listeners for the two loud thuds that there were I just yanked my charger out of the wall by accident um (laughs) So what were the two, um, not two, <laughs> brain, yeah. what were some of the things that you were recovering and excavating from yeah. the Athenian Agora? So at the Athenian Agora, we are working at specifically it, on top of slash around the painted stoa or the stoa poikile. Mm. Um, and so the painted stoa specifically was a place where people could gather um, discuss debate and it was called the painted stoa because it was painted so big shocker there (laughs) but yeah and so you know the painted stoa is written about heavily um, in the literary record that we have from various uh, you know philosophers scholars from that classical time period Um, and so how it works is there are various trenches around slash on top of just because of you know how history works with layering um Um, and so there's there were three slash kind of four trenches that were uh open this summer and so you had beta theta east beta theta west beta zeta and then beta gamma was open for a two week I think, excavation period. Um, and so you had three, so you had those trench groups rotated. So you would be at each trench for two to three weeks, um, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, and you would rotate and, you know, the groups would change up a little bit, but everybody got a chance to excavate at each trench, just, you know, see the difference in stratigraphy, um, mingle with new people, meet all the supervisors. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of the earlier layers that we're working on are Byzantine, obviously, um, given the location and region. And then as you like get to Beta Zeta, for example, Beta Zeta was much lower in stratigraphy um, and an older um, site at the time. And so then we we're working on, um, you know, classical getting into like pre-classical getting into like the geometric period or like sub-Mycenaean and things like that um and so yeah just giving everybody an opportunity to rotate through um it is an insanely huge site it has been ex been being excavated by the American school for I want to say since the 1920s but please do not quote me on that date please actually look it up for yourself just to double check me um on that 
but yeah so for a while though you can tell um and so we were working on that and uh yeah working at the auger it's a very well-run excavated excavation very organized and how everything works um and in their systems uh and when I was there it was uh Dr. John Camps last summer um being director so I got to meet him work with him um lovely person but yeah that's sort of the gist of it and the site oh there we go the Getty Villa have you been to the Getty Villa yes I have I love the Getty Villa actually um going again tonight because tonight is college night at the Getty Villa oh cool yeah, so um, it's exciting. College night at the Getty. Fun. Yeah, it'll be. I'm very excited. I've heard about this. You know, it's almost mythical college night, but because of COVID, they haven't been able to, you know, restart that until this year. So mm-hmm. it's exciting. I was like, well, last year here, perfect timing. Um, so I will be attending that. But yes, the Getty, it's a marvelous reconstruction regarding sort of the artifacts there. That's a different, interesting sort of yeah. like the creation of it is quite an interesting topic. But yeah, uh, aside from that, <laughs> uh, yeah. is quite beautiful and having worked in Pompeii and, you know, I forget the name of the villa that it's um, recreating, but having seen that villa in person, um, it's, it's just always- the Villa de Papyri, Papyri, I don't know. Papyri or Papyri? It's Papyri, like as in Papyrus. Because they oh, found papyri. Right. Yes, 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 yes. The Villa so de Papyri. Correct. The how it's modeled off of the Villa de Papyri. Um, it is a very interesting recreation to see because you know it's kind of hard sometimes when you see personally what I've seen sort of that site in person uh, to see what somebody thinks a recreation of it could be. Um, architecturally speaking, colorly speaking, uh, like color wise, um, for how they've decorated it, designed it, it's quite interesting to see. Uh real life recreation and it's often hard I guess to see things recreated when you're excavating and you know maybe you only have the foundations of a yeah. structure yeah I so I visited it for the first time while I was home <laughs> I posted a reel about it so if anyone's like curious what we're talking about um there is a reel on my uh podcast Instagram that is like a walkthrough of of um the Getty Villa so super exciting um, and on that note, I think the last question that I have for you is what are some of your favorite things about living in Los Angeles? Ooh, okay. I really like Los Angeles. It is a bit hard to get around because, you know, highways just kind of build up the city. Oh, and yeah. public transport here is not necessarily the greatest, which um, is an issue considering I think LA is set to, or yeah, the Olympics are coming here soon. Yeah, 2028. Yeah, so we really got to get that it's public figured out. Um, I know everyone, especially like I've taken digital mapping classes and we've looked at sort of like routes of like public transit. It's terrible. Aside mm-hmm. from that, though, I love Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, the weather the, these past couple months have been super strange and lots of rain, which is, you know, great because we tend to be in a drought. So, but, you know, having the other extreme where it's just extremely like like there's flooding I'm I'd prefer if that could could stop please somebody hear me up there um but the weather here is usually pretty pretty uh stagnant and like stays the same and so that's always very nice to not have to really worry about like oh it's going to be severely thunderstorming um I'm gonna need to wear a raincoat so I don't get wet before my presentation type b you don't really usually have to worry about that right now you do but typically no so the weather here is great 
being close to the beach, I love the ocean. So that's what I really enjoy about it. Um, aside from, you know, weather and like location landscape wise, I'd say LA is very rich in its diversity and its cultures that are represented here. Uh, and also in its like museums, um, USC specifically, like right across campus, you know, we have the Natural, His Natural History Museum, we have the um, Science Center, um, and those are both great places. Also, there's the La Brea, the La Brea Tar Pits. You have the Getty Center. Um, the La Brea Tar Pits, I just recently went uh, two days ago. Yep. So Monday of this week. Wow. This week is, oh, this week is something for me. But, you know, Tell we're chugging, we are chugging along. But yeah, I went on Monday for my capstone class for archaeology. And we got to talk with one of the curators and, you know, go around, see their excavations process. Because, you know, there are active excavations going on in those tar pits, which is awesome um and you know seeing the museum it's quite an interactive museum great museum honestly mm -hmm. I think La Tar Pits might be one of my favorite places I've visited in LA uh, but yeah the Getty Center in addition the Getty Villa um that's technically in Malibu but you know it's close enough where you can uh gather a few yeah. people and go together um there's just so much to do in LA from flea markets to museums um and just meeting people who are native to LA and like have grown up here their whole lives and like it's just really interesting to sort of hear about that so I'd say my favorite thing about LA definitely is the diverse range of people that you're going to meet here and the diverse range on top of that of activities that you can do while you're here um it's technically a city but honestly with all of the bubbles and pockets that are created because of those highways it doesn't really feel like a city the artifacts there that's a different interesting sort of yeah. like the creation of is quite an interesting topic but yeah uh, aside from that <laughs> uh yeah. the itself is quite beautiful and having worked in Pompeii and you know I forget the name of the villa that it's um recreating but having seen that villa in person um it's, it's just always the villa de papyri papyri okay. I don't know Papyri or oh, papyri? It's papyri, like as in papyrus, because they oh, found that's papyri. Right. Yes, 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 yes. The village so of papyri. Correct. I did want to talk about, I do not know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try uh, the research that you're doing with uh, Dr. Yeah. Lynn Dodd, um, yes. the project. Would you just want to like briefly tell the listeners about that? Yeah, so I'm on two projects with Dr. Lynn Dodd. She onboarded me, you know, right in my freshman year, um, which I'm very grateful for because I, you know, was very eager to get into archaeology, to get into archaeological research, especially research that's not, you know, field work than research. You know, there's research aside from that. So kind of learning about the field, what sort of during the off season are you doing things like that um and so I'm on two projects the first one being the Tel Al Judea publication project which is a USC U Chicago joint project um and essentially Tel Al Judea is a site in modern day Turkey um previously Syria and it is perceived to be one of the entrances or near one of the entrances um to the Silk Road um and so it is a very interesting site uh, with very interesting artifacts that come out of it. Excavations have been completed for a while now. And so the publication project essentially works on the UChicago Ochre database platform in order to create a database of, of the objects found and information regarding them. Um, and so I'm a part of that project. And my work, I essentially, I serve as a peer mentor, slash researcher and so I've been peer mentoring 
um, another person on the team who is working um, on the project. And I'm also, you know, helping to onboard people for when I leave my work specifically. Mm -hmm. I've done um, artifact research to do comparanda studies and sort of compare contrasting the artifacts in the site in specific trenches um, of that site, but also to look at sort of how that relates to various sites nearby, like Chatelhuyuk. Um, I'm mm. so sorry I'm saying this incorrectly. No, you um, said that right. Okay, great. Um, but yeah, and so looking at sort of those comparing and contrasting writing articles and really opening up the site to not just the archaeological community. Um, is what my work focuses on. And so creating language that is accessible and understandable to um, people, you know, just interested in the material culture and in the history of the human past. Um, yep. And so in my peer mentoring, I help um, my peers also learn how to do that and become familiar with the Ochre database and that platform. And so that's the one project. The other project that I was onboarded on around the same time too was is the um, Book of Hours uh, virtual reality project sponsored by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Um, this project, it works with a Book of Hours, which is a small religious book and it's um, portable. It's a book of prayers essentially. Um, and it's called Book of Hours because you know, there's a prayer for each hour of the day. <laughs> um, so it's almost in the name. And this book of ours specifically was owned by a woman, which is our last owned by a woman. It went through, we assume, many owners just based on um, when we can date it to its creation. It is from like medieval time period, would have been used in like the Church of Ghent in Belgium. Very gorgeous, gorgeous manuscript. And obviously at this time it's pre-printing press. So it's all hand done, which is crazy. Um, mm. And so my work has on the team has also been sort of a peer mentor at, at times, more recent times um, for that, as I'm again onboarding another person to take my spot when I graduate. But uh, prior to that, I worked as more of the experimental archaeology person on the team and also um, the, I guess you could call it tester. Um, because I, I'm i not, I, I'm not a technology girly and it is a virtual reality project mm -hmm. um, and it's a project on unity. I don't know unity. I'm, I'm an archaeologist. I don't do unity, but because of that, then I got to be somebody who we are also creating manuals for how to do what we're doing and creating a virtual experience. Um, and so I got to be a tester for those manuals to see if they make sense to the common folk like me who do not understand yes technology um but in in regard to experimental archaeology i essentially wanted to look and understand why there are certain smudges and certain i guess aging processes that are occurring in our book of hours um it is parchment and so um i was doing experimental archaeology i made my own ink um using oh, fun. and sort of test it on parchment on paper seeing how various temperatures and conditions affect that create smudging mm -hmm. and so with that then I was simulating this smudging to recreate I guess more of an exaggerated smudging on photoshop um, in order for this virtual reality interactive experience to kind of show how to handle books and how certain handling or not books sorry manuscripts and how certain handlings of these manuscripts can create further wear and tear um, and so that's what my experimental archaeology started off as. And then it gradually went into, okay, like I've worked with the smudging. What about virtual restoration? Great. So now I'm currently working on virtual restoration of certain pages and, you know, mm -hmm. sort of removing the wear and tear of time. However, 
I am very happy that it's virtual and that this whole experience is virtual because what it does open up to a broader audience and you know more people can see this book of hours that is housed in the USC special collections which um getting into the special collections I believe you do have to be a student I'm not sure but on top of that you know you have to reserve the book make an appointment um and so it'll one increase accessibility to preserve the book more because you can interact with it flip the pages without actually damaging the book itself um you know with natural oils with maybe a little too much tugging and so that's something that the project does simulate you know if you turn a page too quickly it'll let you know um it'll like let you know if you're pulling too hard on it too um and you know with the smudging too that's one of the experiences the virtual restoration is one of the new experiences that we're adding to it just so that people can get an idea of what it would have looked like in its prime essentially that's that oh. you know restoration is a bit of a iffy topic because you know how artifacts come to us come down to us at this time and how books come to us at this time that's almost a part of their archaeological record and so in restoring this book you know you're erasing that you know hundreds of years of history essentially that it's gone through to get to you um so I'm very happy that it's virtual so that you know the book as it is can sort of stay an artifact and keep that history that it has um, but then in our virtual restoration you know we could give people a better idea and a sense of what it would have looked like um how it would have been in its process how it would have been coming straight out of manufacturing um, and things like that. And it also gives you a sense to better understand sort of like what things looked like a couple hundred years ago, because you wonder, you know, did colors stay the same, things like that. Uh, I guess also that goes to say, while this is an attempt at a virtual restoration, you know, it's not going to be perfect because I was not in medieval Belgium. Um, So I don't really know (laughs) per se what that would have looked like but yeah so that's that project currently onboarding um a student onto that as well and he will be helping he's currently helping me with finishing up some of that virtual restoration getting that uh I think we're working on four pages so like two sets um and getting that together for uh my last semester on the team um but yeah so those are the two research projects that I'm on at USC um and you know if you're an undergrad and looking for research I highly recommend just reaching out to professors in your department that's how I got on this project I reached out to Dr. Lynn Dodd when I first joined the major and I was like hey I'm interested is there anything And yeah. now at the USC Archaeology Research Center. Um, so if you're listening and you go to USC, please look into the USC Archaeology Research Center. Um, if not, please look into, you know, what your university or area yeah. has to offer. Museums are always eager to onboard volunteers to help out with stuff too. So, you know, there's yeah. a lot of research opportunities in undergrad that often go overlooked. Yeah, and on the same token as emailing professors, also emailing grad students, especially PhD students, like they're looking for that, like, uh, that help, that research assistant, a volunteer position, like you're probably not going to get paid unless their um, funding has a work in for undergrads, which I know there's a professor at my uh, school at GMU right now that, that does have that as part of her grant. So there is the possibility but um, yeah, people are always looking for help. And I think that that's a really important, actually like uh, applicable piece of advice for students listening. Um, the worst they're going to say is no or not respond. Exactly. That's okay. if, they, if they say no, most professors, students know people, you know, yes. we all talk. so there's sure. might be another option, an opportunity that they know of for you. Um, and, you know, 
rejection is not as bad as it sounds. So no, you have to get rejected to get accepted. That's my motto. Yes. I love it. Um, well, Lauren, thank you so much for your time. And I really look forward to seeing, uh, you know, your future in the field where you end up at grad school. It's I already know like good things are ahead for you. And I hope you keep in contact. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I was so happy when you reached out. I was like, this is going to be so fun. Um, But yeah, and you know, feel free, everybody. I'm on Instagram at Lauren Diggs if you want to follow me for more. Um, And, you know, follow that Anthro podcast on Instagram if you don't already. I'm going to plug it. I live in Los Angeles. It's an Instagram hub out here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes and um Lauren Lauren will be tagged in the post that, that I will make for the podcast as well so awesome. yes thank you so much for having me on it was lovely having this chat and I look forward to staying connected in the future